0: Start planning your dream garden with the help of the Garden Trellis Company. For more than 30 years, we've been making beautifully crafted joinery for the garden. The RHS-endorsed range of top-quality joinery includes trellis and slatted panels, fencing, gates, planters, stores and more for people who want to make the best of their outdoor space. The products are made in our Essex workshop from responsibly sourced timber, and with each order, we plant a new tree. Get 15% off RHS-endorsed prestige products at The Garden Trellis Company when you order online or by phone with code RHSPODCAST. Visit gardentrellis.co.uk to find out more and order.
1: As gardeners, we all have plants that we love to hate. Things like Okubas, which often get called car park plants, but they're beautiful, they're useful, evergreen shrubs. Or heathers, perhaps seen as dowdy or old fashioned, but they're stunning when planted in swathes or dried and used as decorations. I had my eyes reopened to heathers when we were working on the January issue of the Garden magazine where we did a plant profile about winter flowering ericas. Just looking at the amazing variety within them and seeing bees go mad for them on a cold winter day and seeing how resilient they are in the face of snow and wind and rain, it just gave me a whole extra love for them. And I feel like in winter especially, it seems that these common but unpopular plants can play a really important role in our gardens, adding structure, berries or cheery variegated leaves just when we need them most. So today we're addressing the overlooked. We're exploring a genus that everyone loves to hate, Mahonias, and just how they can liven up a winter garden. And we're revisiting houseplants, which may or may not be looking worse for wear after the chaotic holiday season. We'll be traveling to RHS Garden Wisley, talking to well-known experts like houseplant guru, Tony LeBriton, and taking a look at the work a nursery does with female prisoners. You're listening to Gardening with the RHS with me, Gareth Richards. First up, we're returning to Oakwood, Wisley's woodland garden, to chat again with Jack Aldridge, a self-described woody plant fanatic. Jack's following up the story he did on winter flowering camellias with another on overlooked shrubs. This time, he's making the case for mahonias, a plant that he believes is the subject of undue slander.
2: So we are on Battleston Hill at Wisley, and we're surrounded by various evergreen shrubs, camellias, rhododendrons and a number of other things but particularly standing out at the moment are some of the mahonias and people love to hate mahonias i think it's a combination of two things you've got the fact they're widely planted in a lot of car parks they've earned that terrible label of being a car park plant and the fact that most of them are yellow flowered and people love to hate yellow so you put those two things together and mahonias have really been put in a corner and Thought we'd just have a talk a little bit about how useful they are and and how brilliant they are as garden plants and, you know, stereotypes and prejudices aside, they they really do have a lot to offer in the garden at a time of year when there's, there's not a huge amount to see. So Mahonias are a genus of, I think around 80 species at last count. They are, for the most part, large evergreen shrubs with really quite striking architectural value from their presence and their foliage, these large pinnate leaves that are arranged in sort of whirls around the stem. So you end up with this, almost like a, a sort of collar of, of striking pinnate leaves with bold sort of spiny leaflets, um, horribly prickly things. You don't want to go anywhere near them really, but from a distance, they're really quite striking. Particularly when sort of surrounded by things that will either be herbaceous plants that have died down or other deciduous trees and shrubs that have lost their leaves. They, they really stand out and, and provide a Yeah, a sort of architectural presence. You've got two groups, really. You've got the sort of autumn, early winter flowering group and then some that will flower later in spring. And as a result, they they occupy a nice niche as flowering shrubs and offer a lot in a time of year when there's relatively less to see in gardens. So the flowers are arranged in in racemes. So you've got these these long spikes of flower that emerge from the terminal shoot of one of the stems. They make these large, usually multi-stemmed shrubs. They're also, in some cases, quite sweetly scented and seem to attract a lot of bees or early bees, I guess, and other hoverflies and other insects, relatively few insects at that time of year, admittedly. But those that are around and out and about, they provide a a nectar source for them. And yeah, it's not uncommon to catch a Mahonia in full flower on a sort of sunny winter's day, just alive with bees and other insects. And yeah, they clearly offer a lot to to wildlife. There are a lot of Mahonias that are worth growing in gardens and in that category, I think an honorable mention must go to Mahonia Cross Media Charity. And that is the Mahonia that you'll have seen just about everywhere. Its popularity, is a real testament to how good a garden plant it is. These things are tough, not exacting about soil conditions or or requirements, really very tolerant of abuse, if we were to call it that. Um, In terms of pruning, they can be hard pruned or just left to their own devices where they'll make really large striking shrubs. And then perhaps not as well known as some of the media types like Charity is a very lovely species, Mahonia gracilopes. Although it's got similar foliage, similar bold pinnate foliage, it's quite a different thing, really. It doesn't make an enormous, tall, great monster of a shrub, but it's sort of got a slightly more lax habit. And where you plant Mahonia gracilipes is, is critical to one's enjoyment of it, because one of its most striking features is this white coating on the underside of the leaves. Uh, we've got a plant. On Battleston Hill at Wisley that's sighted in such a way it just catches the afternoon sun and it lights up the whole plant from underneath and it's stunning I'd grow it for just just for its foliage alone and then it flowers in the autumn small reddish flowers uh, on these very lax sort of spidery like racemes which then once the flowers have dropped around about November time they persist on the plant so you end up with what someone described to me once as lobsters' whiskers, which look really, really striking and persist on the plant well into the spring and, and create this this really quite unusual, interesting effect. So other than enjoying Mahonias, now is a great time to track one down, really. Um, either things like Mahonia Charity or perhaps Eurobracteata soft caress is another very popular one with very fine foliage. Autumn flowering now is a good time to be seeking these plants out and and planting one if you're not already growing Mahonia at home. And things like Mahonia Eurobracteata, that would grow well in a pot for a while. It may be not, you know, forever, but certainly for the first five, ten years of its life, I've seen many good examples grown in pots and they, they provide really nice foliage structure as well as nice autumn winter flowers. It's quite often the case that Mahonia might be something you, you inherit in a, in a new garden, and it's probably this great big evergreen monster of a thing that's much outgrown its position. And before you reach for the spade and the, and the matter can start to grub this thing out, Mahonias do take well to hard pruning, and quite often that is the best way to get them looking shapely, and they'll grow into these sort of leggy, messy, scruffy, things that need sort of bringing back into shape and a good way to do that is to be quite bold and cavalier and and take the saw to them and and prune them to maybe a couple of feet. You were left with this sort of gaunt looking stump staring back at you and you think, oh my gosh, what have I done to this thing? But sure enough, maybe a few weeks, a month later, you'll start to see buds breaking just below the cuts on, on the bare stems and you start again with something much more compact and much more manageable and let it grow, unpruned for several years before doing it again and you kind of, you keep that cycle going and that's the way to keep these things in check. So I hope this has been a sort of compelling enough case to, to make people rethink Mahonias and see that they are really exciting and valuable autumn and winter flowering shrubs and with the you know more species and cultivars available to us now than, than probably ever before, there's a Mahonia for every situation and every garden and these tough perhaps sometimes overlooked garden stalwarts really should be given a second chance.
1: Thanks there to Jack. I couldn't agree more. They are the perfect antidote to winter's sort of brown mud and gray twigs. They have these amazing shiny green leaves and these sunny flowers. I visited an RHS trial of Mahonia's the other week And one that I really loved was one called Marvel, which is a relatively new variety. It was quite big. It was kind of almost almost shoulder height and it had these amazing, really bright green, glossy leaves. Wasn't very spiny at all and had loads of lovely lemony flowers. If you've got a smaller garden, then there's one called soft caress, which is as good as its name. It's not spiny at all. It's a brilliant plant for a patio. Quite good if you've got quite a shady patio as well. flowers in late summer and autumn and kind of just carries on into the early winter as well. Big bee favourite. And I love that Jack mentioned Mahonia chrysillipes. It's quite unusual, but it's really not that hard to grow. And the thing I like about it is it has these amazing long flower stalks, like Jack was saying, you know, they almost look like epimediums, which they are related to. It's kind of surprising. It's all, all in the Berberis family. And the best thing about it is, other than these fantastic flowers, the stems of the flowers are really bright red. And as the flowers fall off, it makes these fantastic berries. So when all the other Mahonias are in, in flower in the winter, Mahonia gracilipes has these great red strings of beautiful sort of jewel-like blueberries. It's a real, real wonderful thing. So while Mahonias may help spruce up the winter garden, if you're keen to stay warm and indoors, there's plenty you can do with your houseplants to fill your life with lush greenery, especially as many may not be looking their happiest at the moment. I know I've got a couple of mine that aren't looking particularly fabulous right now. But at Not Another Jungle, a nursery run by Tony LeBriton in Northampton, it's their mission to make sure you never kill another houseplant again. And Tony's joining us today to help wade through all the bogus advice we hear online to get to the heart of what your plants actually need to flourish.
3: There's a lot of misinformation out there and I want to strip it back just like I do in my store and strip it back to the absolute basics. And that's absolutely all you need to know. Some really simple things about your plants and you'll never fail again. So the first thing to consider when you're choosing your houseplant is right back, almost before when you buy it. I think a lot of us go out and we get excited in garden centres and we see plants and we just buy it because we love the look of it with no thought on where it's actually gonna live in our home. But actually what we really need to do is think about what light requirements those plants need and what we can give them in our home. So most homes have an area that a particular house plant would do well in. So it's about figuring out how much light you get in that area. And then when you're buying plants, matching that plant to those light levels. There is a bit of a myth within this of low light plants. We see low light plants or even plants for rooms with no windows. Even seasoned horticulturalists sometimes fall for this because you see it and you think okay yeah it says that's what it is it must be that but you strip it back and you think well plants need light to photosynthesize that's impossible that we can have plants that live in a in a dark corner some plants will die very very slowly or even just freeze so things like dracaena mother-in-law's tongue the sense of area that comes from africa It's an African plant. It likes a lot of light, and yet it's sold as a really, really low light tolerant plant. And it is low light tolerant. It's not going to be very happy in low light. So the second thing to consider when you are choosing your plant is how much care and how much knowledge you have. So some plants do require a little bit more care, a little bit more time. And if you can't do that, it's pointless even trying. And then, The other thing is just your overall environment. So that encompasses things like, do you have pets? Most houseplants are not pet friendly. There are some which are, and some which are more uh, toxic than others. Things like, where you are going to put the plant? Is it something you're going to be brushing against a lot? Does it need to be sturdier? Is it skin irritant? Is it somewhere that's going to get very wet or damp? So you've got to think about all these things before you even pick up that plant. What we always say in the store is, if you get the light right back to that light, it's the most important thing. If you put your plant in the right amount of light, that is 95 percent of the work done, and you are almost certainly going to be successful with your house plan. So after you've figured out where the plant's going to go, there are two things left for you to do, really. A couple on the little bits, but two main key things. And the first is watering. And with 99% of houseplants, the main thing to do is to allow it to dry out before you water it again. And I know you see care labels in a lot of plants. We remove any care labels that come in. And and actually, we request that our growers don't add the care labels, because most of them do contain incorrect information. And and unfortunately, Google is also a minefield of this. (laughs) And you'll see it across multiple platforms you're told one thing from one person one from another and i'm sure people out there are listening thinking well you're just another voice in all of that but hopefully i can convince you i know what i'm talking about on this so yeah with regards to watering just allow those plants to dry out and you will get advice to water your plant once a week or every two weeks or or however many but plants don't actually work on a routine we work on a routine So it's really good for us to have a schedule. So my advice would always be check your plants once a week, but only water them when they're ready to be watered. So if you stick your finger in and the first few inches are dry and the pot feels nice and light then your plant's ready to be watered, with a couple of exceptions. If you're finding your plants are staying wet for more than two weeks, then try top watering. So water your plant from the top, remove it from its display pot first, and then allow that water to flush straight through and then leave it to stand for a couple of hours before you stick it back in its display pot. That is just to avoid any risk of water building up in the bottom of the pot, which will go on to cause problems like root rot. So one really important thing that people forget about a lot is feeding the houseplants. It's really, really key. There's about two months of good nutrition in a new houseplant that's come from a grower. And after that, nutrition starts to drop pretty rapidly. And although I've got houseplants, hands up, I've got houseplants I haven't fed in a very long time just because I keep forgetting. But when I get into the routine of feeding regularly, the difference in the health, the size, the vigor, and the flowering of houseplants is marked. So. I'd recommend using a synthetic or synthetic blend fertilizer for houseplants. Out in the garden, natural is wonderful because we've got all of the beneficial microbes in the soil to break down those nutrients and make them accessible. But with houseplants, we don't tend to have that sort of biodiversity in the pot to make those nutrients available. With feeding, we actually feed every other watering. I use something that is diluted into the water And then on the next watering, you flush that through really well with clean water to remove any buildup or any salts. And your houseplants will absolutely thrive on that. DIY fertilizers seem to be everywhere. People are obsessed with bananas. Bananas for cleaning leaves, bananas for this, banana for that. Well, bananas belong on the compost heap. They're great in the garden or even bury them in the garden. But in houseplants, they're really do not work. Science has absolutely debunked this. So people think that there's high levels of potassium in a banana skin. There's a tiny, tiny proportion. And a fertilizer has to be balanced for a plant to absorb it or to get the benefits from it. You can't just go in with a fertilizer that's all potassium or all nitrogen because it'll cause an imbalance and then it causes something called nutrient lock Nutrient lock is when one element is too high, which then prevents the plant from absorbing other nutrients, which then just causes a whole host of problems. So banana skins, pop them on the compost heap or put them in the garden where they can be broken down. But as a a houseplant fertilizer, they do not work. In fact, they can cause more problems because it's so high in organic content. Again, you can cause fungus gnats, but you can also cause things like anaerobic respiration within the soil as well, and you'll cause rot around the roots. So I just avoid it, get yourself a good quality houseplant fertilizer and your plants will thank you. Houseplants add so much to your world. They add so much to my life and to so many others. And and since having the store, I see so much joy being injected into people's lives by having houseplants around. From a scientific point of view, they calm us. Having green around us or a view of green space has been proven to, to reduce our heart rate, increase productivity. And I think as humans, we have this innate urge to care for something. And even one houseplant on your windowsill, if you don't already have one, will add something to your life. So I'd urge everyone to go out and buy a houseplant or swap it with a friend. And if you've already got some, Go and get some more.
1: Thanks there to Tony. If you would like more of Tony's advice, check out the beautiful book he published last year called Not Another Jungle, Comprehensive Care for Extraordinary Houseplants. It's made our podcast list of the best books of 2023. My own personal houseplant philosophy is find what works for you. And I know I've talked about this on the podcast before, a couple of years ago. I I really think it's true that you have to kind of tailor your houseplant ambitions to the conditions that you can provide. So my house is Victorian, it's not particularly warm, so I have to avoid all these really heat-loving things like streptocarpus and alocasias and stuff like that because they're just not happy. But what I can grow is the slightly hardier things like Sansevierias and Crassulas and Echeverias, they love it because I've got plenty of light, I just I don't have that consistent warmth and they're fine with that. And also, hands up, I'm not the world's best waterer of houseplants, so growing these things that actually enjoy a bit less water really, really works for me. And if you're still craving more houseplant content, don't worry because we're not finished with it yet. For our final feature, we're travelling to Kent, to the Glass House, a nursery that offers second chances through horticultural training to women in prison. Here's a look at the work that they do and reflections from a few of the prisoners who work there.
4: My name is Callie Hammerton Stove. I am a co-founder and managing director of the Glass House. So we are sitting in our growing facility, and we are in Cranbrook in Kent. And we um, have, uh, I guess, I don't know, maybe 2,000 plants um, around us of varying size. Ficus lorata, dracaena, Chinese evergreen, kentia, sluritsia. We see them all, and we basically nurture these and grow these and we put them into offices and um, hotels and retail and where uh, the rest of the world can enjoy them as well. Well, the women come out from prison to work with us and as they work with us and they earn a living wage, they train in this industry in managing and propagating and growing these types of plants, these indoor plants. They do have the opportunity also to get a qualification in horticulture. But whilst they're doing that, they are actually doing the work of the commercial enterprise, which is mainly installing and maintaining plants in office environment in London. All of it is considered training for the end result, which is that by the time they leave prison, they're really well trained. They have experience and they've been working for a while. So they've been able to save money. So they have kind of a way to to help themselves get a safe place to live and hopefully some really good employment. You know, many of the women that come to work for us have never worked with plants, have never had a plant, and certainly maybe never had a garden. But everything we do and everything that we kind of thought about and built into our program is based on biophilic principles and the fact that we believe that being close to nature, being close to growing, living plants is really beneficial for people's mental and physical well-being. I will say this. I mean, number one, I love... I love the plants and I love being around these tropical plants that we take care of and nurture and place and I think they're they're beautiful and I, I get a lot of beauty in my everyday work which I'm very grateful for but even more than that I'm so grateful for getting to be a part of these women's lives and they're at a place where they're really making a change and they've, they're doing something different than what they've done before. And it feels like such a gift to get to be a part of that period of their time and to help them and support them. So I think that's, for me, my favourite part of my job.
5: My name's Rian. I'm part of the programme, so I'm a serving prisoner. I came out of prison this morning on licence, and I'll go back to prison this afternoon. I came to open prison. I was in closed prison prior to that. And when I got to open prison, I found it quite difficult to navigate, far more really than closed prison. So I had gone to a workshop that the glass house had presented at the prison I'm at now and I really like just seeing plants again. I hadn't realised how much I'd missed just being in a room with a plant and they've included me in part of the programme so I'm exceptionally lucky and very, very grateful to them. I like the installations. I like seeing an office maybe barren. And then suddenly we go in and we put all the plants in and it is like a different environment. So I love that. And my favourite plants are probably the little bit of the wacky ones. So there's a snake plant that I always say is the closest thing to a dinosaur because it it looks a type of prehistoric um, snake plant. And there's a rabbit foot's fern that looks like there's a tarantula climbing out of the pot. So it seems to be the wacky plants that I'm drawn to just because they're a little bit unusual. From the first day I got here, I just loved being around the plants. And then when we walked from the shop, Down to here, it was just like a haven because there were plants, there were tables that I could pot, I could tip out soil, I could make up compost. I could just look at a plant, decide if I was going to, you know, trim it. I didn't know the names of it because I didn't really know anything about houseplants till I I joined the programme. But I just knew that it felt a safe, positive place and that was massive for me because I hadn't felt safe or positive for for a while. Inevitably, when you, you're taken away from the life that you were used to and you're put into a d- different environment, then that's quite tricky. So then to be able to come back out and to be able to normalise a little bit, like just coming to work, coming on like a train, coming into Cranbrook, walking from the shop or working in the shop, coming down here, that all reminded me that I had capabilities. It reminded me that I have value and it reminded me that I have transferable skills that I think I had not only forgotten but had maybe been pushed to the side just because of other things became in the way, I suppose. But definitely working here, I know that I'm enough in the glasshouse and that's a lovely feeling.
6: My name is Jess and I've worked for the Glasshouse since March of this year and our official title is Plant Technician. That's a very loose title because we do everything here. So I initially, during my prison journey, I went to Bronzefield, Europe's largest women's prison, and then I went to Send and I became part of the gardens team at Send. Never did anything like that at Bronzefield, wasn't particularly green-fingered. But in prison in particular, it was really important to get out and be in nature. So when I moved to East Sutton Park Open Prison, I had a chance meeting with Callie and Maria. And I, I really didn't know what I was probably getting myself in for, but also what it actually entailed as part of the glass house. So coming in and then seeing everything, I was a bit hooked. I am probably quite ashamed to say I've never owned a houseplant. However, that's changed. So it's it's kind of opened up a whole new world, really. Really, we all get stuck into it. And if you're having a particularly bad day, which happens quite often in the prison environment, you can come up here and you can maybe stick a little bit of music on and you can get on with being around the plants. I mean, looking at it today, it's just full to the brim with luscious houseplants. So being around that can only be a plus. And with that comes with the support that the Glasshouse team give us, which has been nothing I've ever experienced with an employer before. So it's, it's been nothing but positive for me.
1: Thanks there to Callie, Rhiann and Jess. You can find out more about the work the Glasshouse does and how you can order plants from them in our show notes. And before we go, I wanted to chat about one thing that I've done in the garden this past week, and that is clean my greenhouse, because algae and dirt and everything can really build up over time. And before you know it, you're losing a lot of light. And now is a time when quite often greenhouses are pretty empty. So what you need to do get a dustpan and brush a bucket of water some liquid washing up detergent and get your brush into that and give the glass a good scrub inside and out and rinse it off after you're done and you'll be amazed how much more light comes through and also a quick note just to say we want to hear from you we'd love to hear about the issues you're having in your garden or general horticultural questions you'd like answered in the show so send us your queries at podcasts.rhs.org.uk That's all for now. So, from me, Gareth Richards, goodbye. Thanks for listening.
0: As we look to the year ahead, start planning your dream garden with the help of the Garden Trellis Company. For more than 30 years, we've been making beautifully crafted joinery for the garden. Our range of top quality products endorsed by the RHS includes trellis and slatted panels, fencing, gates, planters, sheds, and stores, and all made in our workshop in Essex. Make the most of your outdoor space and get 15% off RHS-endorsed prestige joinery products at The Garden Trellis Company when you order online or by phone with code RHSPODCAST. Visit gardentrellis.co.uk to find out more and order.